Okay, so this morning, we're talking about the importance of doing the word, and we are emphasizing this because it is critical for a believer's walk of faith with Christ over the course of your entire life, and it is half of your entire life in terms of following Jesus. The first half is your reading and understanding the word. The second half is doing it. If you get the first 50%, which is the understanding, that's great. But if it stops there, you're missing the other half. And unfortunately, that first half doesn't actually get you saved alone. It's the first half plus the second half that gets you saved. And that also allows you to continue growing as a believer. So we're talking about that second half, which is the doing. And we'll discuss a little bit about understanding as well. But doing the word is going to be the focus for today. And we'll start by going to Matthew chapter 7. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll spend some time in that chapter. And we'll begin in looking at verse 15. So please turn to Matthew chapter 7. We'll start in verse 15. Verse 15 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every tree bears good fruit, or every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And we will pause there. We'll take this a section at a time. The first thing you'll notice is from verses 15 through 20. This is where he discusses identifying false prophets or ravenous wolves. Also identifying a good tree or a bad tree. Now, for most of us today, the difference between a good tree and a bad tree would be the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. That's the difference between a good and a bad tree. And this passage is telling us that the only way to recognize a believer versus a non-believer is by their obedience to the word, because that is your fruit. In Galatians 5:22, it tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. 
those are all characteristic qualities. That's Christ-likeness described. And all of those qualities will be in your life if you're being obedient to the word. Therefore, an, a believer is identified by having the fruit of the spirit in his or her life. And that is how a good tree is known. And he says that a false prophet or a ravenous wolf comes in sheep's clothing. It's pretending to be a good tree or pretending to be a believer when it's really not. So the first thing to remember about the importance of doing the word is that it is the doing of the word that identifies a believer. That's number one. Second thing is, and this is from the next paragraph, the only way that Jesus is your Lord is if you do what he says. And that is true faith. In the notes, mistakenly, it says the only way that Jesus, if your Lord, should say is your Lord. The only way that Jesus is your Lord is if you do what he says. And that's true faith. So, as you see in verses 21 through 23, specifically verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So, professing or saying that Jesus is your Lord doesn't make you a believer any more than saying that you are in a garage makes you a car. Right? can say whatever you want, but until you've become that thing, it's not a reality. Turn to Luke chapter 6. This is Luke's account of the same teaching. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 46. Luke 6, verse 46 says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? I'll read that one again. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Imagine if Jesus was asking you that question. Why do you call me Lord? Keep reading. He says, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Didn't just come to ruin, but the ruin was great. So again, the only way that Jesus is your Lord is if you do what he says. And that's what demonstrates true faith. Now we'll take a look at John 13. That's the third scripture that is listed at the top there. So go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verses 12 through 17 is what we'll read. This is where Jesus gathers his disciples together before the Last Supper, and he washes their feet. 
says, starting in verse 12, So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Later on in the chapter, Jesus says his commandment is that as I have loved you, you also ought to love one another. That's specifically in verse 34 of the same chapter. He goes on to say that that's how we're identified as his disciples, if we have love for one another. If you sum up his point in that chapter, it's that, again, if we call him our teacher and Lord, the way that we live that out is by taking what he did, letting it serve as an example to us, and doing what he did for us. And when it comes to washing feet without getting into that in too much detail, it simply means that we, in love, serve each other. That's why in verse 34, he says his commandment is to love one another as he has loved us. That is what makes Jesus our Lord. And it lets us know, too, that Jesus's life is an example to follow. There's a lot of believers out there that think Jesus lived a life that was an impossible standard. In that the life he lived was just for him to live and that there's no use in us trying to do anything that he did because he's the son of God and we're just filthy sinners. But we know for certain, at the very least because of what Jesus said here, that his life is an example and what he did, he did for us and to us so that we would do what he did. You can take him at his word from that scripture. Important to keep in mind. Then turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. starting in verse 21. James chapter 1, verse 21. says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. We pause there. In the following verses, he's going to get into how we receive the word with meekness. Now, the word for meekness doesn't just mean gentleness, it means submission. So, receiving the word with meekness would be listening to it with a submissive attitude. Whatever it says, we're going to listen to it, we're going to do it. Into the following verses, starting in verse 22, he says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And we'll pause there. Be a doer, not just a hearer. Finishes by saying, You deceive yourself if you're not a doer but you will be blessed if you are a doer. And that brings us back to John 13, 17, where Jesus said, if you know these things, 
blessed are you if, big if, you do them. That lets you know that the word that you read and even the word that you understand does nothing to bless you until you've actually done it. And the reason why is because if your reception of the word stops with reading it and not putting it into practice, you experience none of the benefits of that word in your life because you haven't put it into practice. You will experience some benefits of understanding the word because it might give you clarity for your mind, but until you put it into practice in some way, shape, or form, it's not going to truly benefit you. It will not bless you. And James reiterates what Jesus said in John 13, 17. That if you know these things, if you read the word, if you hear the word, it's only going to bless you or benefit you if you put it into practice. That's his primary point. Now, it is important to hear and not forget the word. You also see that in this passage of James, he says to not be a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. And that lets us know that in order to be a doer, you do have to read. You can't do something you don't know. So you do got to read the word. That's where it starts. But he, he adds that we can't be a forgetful hearer. And that's why he says, conversely, verse 25, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that would be scripture, and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. That passage lets you know that the solution to being a forgetful hearer is that you continue in the word. You continue in it. And if you look in a later passage, which we'll get into this more later, there's places in Second Peter that say being constantly reminded of what we already know is what stirs us up. And that's, that means it keeps you active. It keeps you putting the word into practice when you continually hear it and are reminded of it. So you won't be able to be a doer if you read something in the word once and understand it and then expect your life to line up with it perfectly. It doesn't work that way. It's over the process of time, continuing to be reminded and encouraged in the same things that you become a doer of the word. And that's why it is important to make sure that we're reading the word on a daily basis. We'll talk about that a little bit more later as well. Turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 in verse 8. We'll read that scripture standalone. Titus chapter 3 in verse 8. Titus is after 2 Timothy. Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, and then Titus. So it goes. Titus chapter 3 in verse 8. says, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly so that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. I'll read it again. This is a faithful saying. In other words, you can trust this. This will really help you. These things... This is what he wrote in this letter, and it includes all of Scripture. I want you to affirm constantly. In other words, talk about it all the time. Joshua 1.8 says, don't ever let this word depart from your mouth. Don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. 
affirm it constantly. Here's the result. So that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. In other words, if you want people to be careful to maintain good works, these things, what is read, what is understood, needs to be affirmed constantly. You cannot become a careful doer of the work if you're not a careful reader and learner of the word. And that requires a daily practice. So you do have to read continually or daily, again, to be a good doer. Otherwise, this happens naturally. You become forgetful. You'd be surprised. Like, stop reading the Bible for a few weeks, assuming some of you aren't already doing that. But if you are a faithful reader of your word and you just stopped reading for a few weeks after having been really consistent in it, you'd be surprised by how much you forget do things that you were wanting to do simply because you've become a forgetful hearer because it's not being affirmed constantly, right? So it's really important to stay in the word, stay reading it. And that helps you be a better doer. Also remembering that the word only blesses you or helps you, benefits you when you're doing it. If you try to find reassurance in only reading and hearing it without doing, you deceive yourself. You have a false hope. That's why James says that you deceive yourself if you're a hearer but not a doer. It makes you think that you're a doer of the word because you're reading it a lot. But that's just deception. It's a false hope and a false assurance if there's reading without doing. There needs to be both. But one supports the other. One depends upon the other. You do have to be a faithful reader, a careful reader to be a careful doer. But you can also be a careful reader without being a careful doer. So it's keeping both in balance, and then you'll be blessed in your life and in your actions. Go to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. This is where we'll talk about your faith. This includes the faith that saves you, because as we know, like we just read in Matthew 7 and in Luke chapter 6, that why do you call me Lord, but then don't do the things that I say? And he even goes on to say that, not everyone who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father in heaven. So doing is a part of being saved, and the reason why is explained in James chapter 2. And starting in verse 18 of James 2, he says, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Imagine hearing that, that you believe, but you're no better than a demon. It's kind of scary. Verse 20. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So faith is proven real by the act of doing what you say you believe. Specifically, he says it is made alive. 
by the act of doing what you read. Jesus said that faith grows as well. And as believers, we are identified by our belief. That's why we're called believers. But that belief, that faith is only alive when there is action. If we call ourselves believers or are to be identified as believers, but there is no action, no doing, then faith is dead. And dead faith doesn't grow. Jesus said that your faith is like a mustard seed. And he said it starts small, but it grows to become great. The, one of the identifying markers of faith is the fact that it grows. And the more that your faith grows as a believer, not only do you have more peace and joy and love in your life because you trust God so deeply, you're also able to do more for God. You're bolder. You're more confident. You accomplish more. You reach more people. Those are all natural byproducts of your faith growing. But if there's no action, it doesn't grow because it's dead. A tree that's not growing is a dead tree. It's that simple. And so the way you keep your faith growing and the way you keep it active, active is with doing or action. It is with works. Your faith only lives and grows if you take action. No doing means no growth. It's that simple. Go to Luke chapter 12. This is going to be a final point about the importance of doing. Luke chapter 12. Go there. One sobering, convicting. Luke chapter 12, we'll start in verse 42. Luke 12, verse 42 says, And the Lord said, talking to believers, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Now I'll pause there just to explain as we go. He's talking about believers being entrusted with other believers as stewards. So when he says, a faithful and wise steward, his master should find giving his fellow servants their portion of food in due season. His point is that you taking care of each other is being a faithful and wise steward. And he says that if you're faithful and wise to serve others, that the master will make you, make you ruler over his household. And that is simply a reference to when we enter the kingdom of heaven one day. Let's start reading it in verse 43. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant, this is us, says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. In other words, I got a lot of time left. I can do what I want. doesn't matter. I'm young, we could say. And Instead, says, begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk. That's simply saying you mistreat people and spend your life on lusts and pleasures, feeding the flesh, right? He says, what will happen? Verse 46, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Now imagine as a believer being 
appointed with unbelievers. That wouldn't be good. We don't want that. Verse 47. He says, and that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given from him much will be required and to whom much has been committed of him they will ask the more. This is where Jesus tells us about the accountability of knowledge. In other words, the more that you know and the more that you understand, the more accountable you are to do it and take action on it. And he goes on to say that if you know your master's will, which is more of the Bible that you know, the more you are obligated to take action on it. And if you don't do it, once you know it, he says, we're deserving of stripes for that and many stripes. Then goes on to say, if you don't know, but yet you are still in disobedience, you're less accountable. You're still disobedient, but you were less accountable. And then he says, it is few stripes that you're deserving of. If you sum it up, it's to understand that if you read and learn, but do not do, there are eternal consequences in the kingdom. There is going to be a form of suffering for not doing what we read and what we learn. Assuming you're saved. He is talking to believers here. This isn't for unbelievers. So knowledge makes you accountable to take action. That simple. You wrap up that first section of this teaching. The only way to recognize a believer is by their obedience to the word. The only way that Jesus is your Lord is if you do what he says. It's important to continue in the word daily to make sure you don't forget it. But it will only help you, bless you, or benefit you when you are doing it. Your faith only lives and grows if you take action. And then if you read and learn but do not do, there are eternal consequences in the kingdom. So that should motivate us to be doers. Now, there's a question I'd like to answer for the remainder of this teaching, and that is what prevents people from being doers? Because... After hearing all this, it's like, okay, I'm going to be a doer. From this day forward, I'm going to do the doing. I'm going to do a great job doing, okay? But there, <laughs> there, are, there are things that make doing difficult. And I have those things listed here. So it's important to make sure that we cover these bases so that you have the easiest time doing the doing. Number one is lack of knowledge. This one's obvious. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If you don't know things, it's going to be very hard to do it. I mentioned that earlier. Lack of knowledge is a big problem, and that can be fixed simply with reading the word. Reading is an awesome first step and doing it on a daily basis. Number two is lack of remembrance. I talked about that briefly. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, I mentioned earlier from James 1.25, not to be a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. Second Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12 is where we'll start. 
says, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth. Now, this is interesting because he says, you guys already know this. You're already established in it. Now, what that means is they know what the truth is. They know what the word says, and they're doing it faithfully. That's what makes them established. So these are not people that are disobedient believers. He's talking about believers that know this stuff and they're doing it and they're doing a great job. And still he says, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. There is never a time in your life where you don't need to hear a certain teaching anymore. You always need to be reminded constantly of the same things, not just things you don't know, but the same things because if you keep reading, he says, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. There's the reason. To be stirred up is to be provoked to more action, to be constantly motivated, to constantly have the energy and drive to do what the word says. Being reminded of it is important. One of the reasons is because as part of being forgetful hearers, we may not only forget the content of the word itself, but we can forget what it means to do it or what it looks like to do it as we grow. And then it causes us to slack or regress. Now, example of this would be if you're growing in a certain area and you think you're doing well, and then you stop or you slack or you let off a little bit, what ends up happening is you get lazy in that certain area and then you end up regressing you get worse because you weren't progressing. It's a constant mindfulness that's required to make sure that we continue to grow and continue to get better in certain areas. That's why it's important to stay stirred up, stay active by constant reminders. If you keep reading, it says, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. I will be careful. That Greek word means diligent. I will be diligent to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Always. Having a constant reminder, like James says, allows you to not forget. And the way that we can stay constantly reminded is by reading continually. A lack of remembrance is caused by not reading enough so that we become forgetful. And that also tells us that the action of reading daily is a great action. If you don't know anything else that you can do in terms of your action, reading on a daily basis is a great way to start. Because it, it'll, it'll begin with that anyway. So that's a great place to start. And that'll fix the lack of remembrance issue. If the issue is not a lack of knowledge, then it can be a lack of remembrance. When Hosea 4.6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, part of the problem isn't just that people have never read the Bible. Part of the problem is that they read it, but then they forget it, or they don't retain any of the knowledge that they gain. And it's as if they didn't read it at all, because they didn't retain it. And if you want to help yourself retain it, retain it then that's where the remembrance through constant reminders comes into play. That's how you keep your remembrance up and therefore keep your knowledge up so that you can retain it. The third one is a lack of understanding. 
could also say confusion is part of the problem. And that means that they don't understand the word or are confused about it. And you'll find scripture about this in Matthew chapter 13, which is where we'll turn next. We'll go to Matthew chapter 13, verses 14 through 19. This is Jesus teaching a Jewish audience, and he gives a parable called the parable of the sower. And his disciples ask him why he's talking to them in parables. And if you jump in in verse 14, yeah, 14, he says, and in them that is in his audience, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. There's another translation of that passage that says, lest they should turn and I should forgive them. So when he's talking about healing, he's not talking about physical healing. He's talking about being saved and being forgiven, and in our case, as believers, growing in our faith. He says the problem is that we hear and don't understand. Just like he talks about in this Jewish audience here, they have ears, they see, they hear, but they don't understand. And therefore, they don't turn from their sins, and therefore, they're not healed. Then he says in verse 16, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Speaking to his disciples there. And then if you keep going, he says, For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. This is where reading the word can, in some cases, become an entirely useless exercise because there's zero understanding. Now, this begins particularly with unbelievers because as an unbeliever, you don't have the Holy Spirit helping you understand the word, and so you're definitely not going to understand it. And that would be the audience that Jesus is speaking to here, that they, they have ears, they have eyes, but they don't see, they don't perceive, they don't understand one bit of it. As believers, a similar thing happens, not in that we're completely insensitive to it, but we simply, due to a lack of understanding and due to a lack of comprehension even, we don't keep what we read. It doesn't stay in our hearts. And he says the devil just snatches it away. So it produces no fruit in your life. So understanding, of course, very important. The solution, according to the Bible, is to cry out for understanding. That's step one. That language, cry out for understanding or lift up your voice for understanding, comes from Proverbs chapter 2. And we'll turn there. Go to Proverbs chapter 2, starting in verse 3. Proverbs 2 in verse 3 says, Yes, if you cry out for discernment, 
and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So you have to want understanding. Now, there are a lot of people that think they want understanding because let's say they read a lot. There's a lot of people that read the word every day, hours a day, but they're not crying out for understanding. And the way that you know the difference is that when you read the word daily, if you assume oh, I already know what this says. I know what this means. And I think I'm grasping it. And you just read and you're not seeking for, let's say, asking for other believers of, for different points of view. Or you're not open to correction from somebody who might tell you you're understanding something wrong. Those are ways in which you could be reading constantly. But because you're not seeking understanding, you lack it and as a result are wrong in a lot of areas in scripture, and as a result, it hinders your ability to take action on it. And so crying out for understanding can start with the attitude and prayer that you have, which is just, God, give me understanding. Help me understand. Help me seek it as silver. That's a great start because that's an attitude shift. But then as you learn, you can't assume that you already know because as soon as you come to that place, you're no longer seeking understanding. That's where you've become content with what you already know. And the Bible calls that foolishness. That's called being wise in your own eyes. That's called when you're standing, getting boastful in your standing, and therefore you fall. And so never, ever, ever think that you know what something means. There's always a deeper meaning behind everything that you read in Scripture. And your understanding is never going to grow and therefore motivate more action unless you're seeking to peel back those layers, always understand more, always receive and seek out correction, always find ways to learn something new. That's really, really important when it comes to growing in the word, and that'll solve the issue of a lack of understanding. So don't just read, but study, ask questions, get help from others that are knowledgeable or wise is another way of applying this. A fourth problem is a lack of godly teaching or leadership. This one is huge, especially for Newer believers that look, look to find a church, they find a church, they're under teaching, they're under leadership. But if there's bad leadership, bad teaching, that leads the ignorant or gullible astray. And it's extremely serious to God for leaders to lead people astray. But as those who listen to teaching or to leadership, if you listen to teachers whose words are not helping you to be more obedient, then something's wrong. And that's a great starting place for your understanding that when it comes to hearing teaching, if you don't feel driven to do more by clarity that comes from that teaching, then there's something off. Because when you're under leadership and you're under teaching, what you're learning should make you realize, oh man, I'm not doing that thing. I should really do that because now I see that that's in the Bible. And then you get help for doing that thing, whatever it is. That's great. That is exactly what you want to happen when you're under teaching or under leadership. But if there's no increase of doing and you might get a nice feeling from that teaching or you might be soothed emotionally, that's good for a few moments and then you go home and nothing changes. There's something wrong with that. 
And there's specifically a place in Timothy that says that in the last days, people will heap up teachers for themselves that will tell them exactly what they want to hear. And with itching ears, they'll heap up those teachers. That's because they're looking for people who will tell them what they want to hear, but not what they need to hear. And if you're being told what you need to hear and not just what you want to hear, it is going to be uncomfortable. It's meant to be that way. Uh, there's a scripture in Jeremiah says that the word of God is like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And the first rock that needs to be broken pieces typically is a hardened heart or a hardened understanding or a hardened mind. And the word is meant to smash stuff that you're comfortable in. Uh, there's another place in Hebrews 4 that says scripture is, or the, the word of God is like a sword. That's, it's sharper than any two-edged sword and pierces to the division of your soul and spirit. It convicts you. It pierces through layers in your life and in your mind and how you think that makes it painful. And it's meant to do that. If that's not happening in what you're learning, that's bad teaching. It's that simple. So let's look at a couple scriptures about the severity of that. If you go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 16, you'll find a place where this is discussed. Isaiah chapter 9, in verse 16. says for the leaders of this people he's talking about Jews in Samaria the leaders of this people cause them to err and those who are led by them are destroyed now it to me it's a pretty scary thing to be somebody without even knowing it that because of leadership is being caused to err and then to be destroyed that that's not pretty. That would not be good. And it says that leaders can cause that. Leaders can do that to you. And the more ignorant or gullible a person is, the more likely that is to happen. And so that's why it's so important to be under good leadership and be reading the Bible for yourself so that you can recognize godly leaders or ungodly leaders. The uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. Look at Malachi chapter 2. This is the last book of the Old Testament right before Matthew is where you'll find Malachi. And in chapter 2, verse 7 is where we'll start. I'm actually going to read this one in New Living Translation because it words it in a way that's a little easier to understand. In Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse 7, says the words of a priest's lips should preserve knowledge of God and people should go to him for instruction for the priest is the messenger of the Lord of heaven's armies. Now this was talking about Levitical priests in the Old Testament. Today, this simply means leadership in the church. That's how this is applied. But you priests or you leaders have left God's paths. Your instructions have caused many to stumble into sin. You have corrupted the covenant I made with the Levites, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So I have made you despised and humiliated in the eyes of all the people, for you have not obeyed me, but have shown favoritism in the way you carry out my instructions. 
the New King James Version. He says, you've departed from the way you have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord. Therefore, I have also made you contemptible and base before all the people, because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law. Leaders can do this. They can cause many to stumble or many to sin because of their instruction or because of their teaching. There's a really convicting verse. I don't have it in the notes, but in Matthew 23, Jesus said, So harsh the way he said this to the Pharisees. It's awesome. Um, but he says, he says to the, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the lawyers that you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And then afterwards, make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. That's a scary thing to hear <laughs> if you're a Pharisee. That's a... Uh, I think it's Matthew 23. I'll pull it up. It's, it also could be Luke 11, but I'm pretty sure it's Matthew 23. Verse 15. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. When he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Yeah. Crazy. A proselyte is somebody that was a Gentile convert to Judaism. So somebody that was a Gentile became a Jew. Like that. For us, this would be like a leader today that claims Christianity but then wins a convert. Like an example would be somebody that's one to say uh, Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormonism or something like that. That would be an example where somebody is one and they think they've found the light. They think that they've been saved when they're just made twice as much son of hell as the person that won them. Right? So bad leadership's a big problem. And again, if you listen to teachers whose words are not helping you be more obedient, then something's wrong. That's why it's important to have good teaching. The final form of prevention is a lack of willingness. This one's really simple. If you have knowledge, you have remembrance, you have understanding, and you have good teaching and leadership, and having all those things would be awesome. And unfortunately, most believers don't have all those things. But if you did, let's say you had all four of those things nailed, you still got to be willing to be obedient. And that's why Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16 says that those who are willing and obedient shall eat the good of the land. In other words, you'll be blessed, you'll be benefited when you're willing and obedient. That's about your attitude. Willingness has got to be there. And a lack of willingness is just stubbornness. Right? You do have to make a choice to obey daily. And that will cause you to grow along with your knowledge, remembrance, and understanding. All in all, that this teaching should be a reminder, as it's titled, of the importance of doing the word. And as I stated earlier, one great step or great action you can take is just to read on a daily basis. And to be faithful in that process, that is a great way to start. And as you grow, you'll learn more about what you can do. I don't have this in the notes, but practically speaking, if you don't know what you should read, one, recommend, rec one thing I always recommend to people is identify something in your life that you want to grow in, an, an area where you have some weakness whatever that might be. Now, if you're 
conscious and aware of yourself, quickly you'll be able to determine, okay, I know I'm weak in that area, right? All of us can identify those weaknesses. Put a title on that weakness, give it a name, identify it with some kind of word, and use that word as a keyword for looking up scriptures. And you can use synonyms too, find synonyms for that weakness, and look up scriptures. You can Google scriptures about it, you can use a concordance to find words in the Bible where that, that word shows up. Compile a list of not just verses, but chapters where you find that weakness discussed. And then you can just simply read through stories in the Bible and see where you notice people having similar behaviors that you have had or have in your weaknesses. And then you can learn about the solutions. What did said person do or what did God do for said person to help them overcome that weakness? And if you apply that discipline to studying, it'll give you plenty to study, plenty to read about, plenty to look at. And it'll be months. If you do it diligently, you can spend months on on certain topics, and that can give you not just knowledge and understanding, but something you can take action on. So that's a really great practical thing when it comes to studying. Otherwise, it is always good to just read anywhere, especially the New Testament. That's another great way to start. And if for any reason you don't know what you would say for whatever a weakness might be, it's always good to ask people. You can just say, hey, friend, somebody you trust, somebody that knows you, what could you correct me on? What's something you've seen in my life that maybe I don't notice that I'm doing wrong or doing poorly? What have you noticed? How can I change? That's a great question to ask. It's a very humble thing to do, and it'll really help you. too. You might not know certain weaknesses that you have in your life. That's another thing you can do. It will help you have something to read. That's how we'll close this teaching, and before I get into explaining the page underneath to close, are there any questions? about any of this. Okay. Awesome. So underneath, like I said, Matthew 7's here. The reason why it says Bible Acts commentary is because some of you, most of you probably know this, but I'm working on a Bible commentary that is both written and in video form. So I'm producing teaching videos along with written commentary. And this page is a uh, printed PDF sample of what's going to be included in this commentary. So there's a website being built for it. It will eventually be an app as well. And every chapter of the Bible will have its own video and a page like this that can be printed along with the same content that's just simply pasted on the website. And this you can take home just as a sample so you know what it will look like. And it's simple points that's focused on what action you can take, and that's why it's called Bible Acts, because it's about action and empowering believers to be doers of the word, hence the screen we have up there. So if you happen to be studying Matthew 7, here's something you can use as a resource. I did mention a couple weeks ago that we were going to discuss Matthew 7, and we read a lot out of Matthew 7 tonight anyway. So if you'd like just a complete picture of what Matthew 7 is discussing, then this is something you can look at to learn more about it. In terms of the progress on it, it's the first portion of it will be made available to the public in probably May. For the time being, I'm working on producing the content and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, Genesis, and Proverbs are completed in terms of the written commentary. 
there are videos made for Acts, Proverbs, Genesis, part of Psalms, and part of Romans. Other videos are being worked on. And then, as I stated, the website is also being worked on right now as well. So that's something that we can look forward to. It's going to be really cool, exciting once it's done. I think it will help a lot of people. And if you're on the email list, I'm, I send emails to give updates on, on the status. So you can always look for those if you want, want updates on that. Otherwise, that finishes that announcement. And we also have a, this is a separate separate discussion, but a Bible school that we're running that is, is running as we speak. And there's going to be a new, new set of classes that will begin in the summer beginning of June. So you have, if you have any interest in that, you can always let me know and I can give you more information. Otherwise that closes the teaching. Yes. Of the school. Yeah. Yep. So it's called Valiant School of Ministry. Um, underneath, of course, Valiant Ministries International. And the purpose of that, our tagline explains it, is preparing believers to walk like Jesus walked. And the idea is to help believers have an understanding of what Jesus understood, how he lived, and what are the basic actions that you can take to get started in growing in that direction. And we always start that with helping you have a core understanding of, of the word so that you have a foundation in your understanding for the action that you're going to take. And that's, that's what the school accomplishes. That's the purpose of it. That's the goal. And it is 16 weeks of teaching and Bible study assignments. And then there's just a 17th week that's about uh, essentially a graduation, just a gathering to celebrate uh, completing it. But that's the school. As stated, any questions you guys have or interest, you can let me know after we finish. Otherwise, that closes the, the teaching. I'm just going to pray before we close, and we'll go from there. So, Father, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for the opportunity to learn from your word about this and that we have the freedom in this country to do it. And I just pray that you'd help us to increase our understanding so there's no confusion and no lack in uh, knowledge that would cause us in any way to be destroyed or suffer harm. Uh, help us to receive with meekness the implanted word as scripture says and to be thankful for what you've given us and for the scripture that you've given us and help us apply it faithfully and be good stewards, to be wise servants. And we thank you for your faithfulness by your spirit to help us understand and to help us do and that we have everything we need at our disposal to be able to be good and great doers of the word. We give you glory. Thank you so much again. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. If you want to give for offering, we'll take a moment to do that. Just uh, have your hand up. We'll get you an envelope. I don't know if we have envelopes out. We have envelopes. They're out here somewhere. Just stay in your seat if you want to give, and then we'll get you an envelope in the next couple minutes. Otherwise, you can uh, give website, which is just valiantmi.com slash give give that way. Otherwise, thank you guys for being here. You are dismissed. Feel free to hang out for a little while, and we'll see you next week.